Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. All right, welcome again to the Defender Bible Study. This is Rick Morton, Lifeline's Vice President of Engagement. And today we're going to be continuing our study in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. So as we've as we walk through the um, the book of Ezekiel, we've we've seen a lot. And last week, uh, Josh uh, talked to us about Ezekiel chapter 37, and and we we see this this hopeful sense of of God working in uh, the valley of dry bones and the promises that He made. And I want to go back and, and just kind of take a running start at today's um, today's study by looking at the end of chapter 37. Um, essentially, God promises to his people, makes, a, makes an incredible declaration um, to his people about his protection and his provision of his people. He says, uh, beginning verse 26, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will set them in their land and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel, where my sanctuary is in their midst forever. Now, we, we turn the corner from that very hopeful note where God makes this, this promise to Israel of care for them and, and, and their enduring um, to chapter 38, where we see that Israel is going to suffer and that there's going to be difficulty that's going to come against them. Um, and chapters 38 and 39 are somewhat controversial. Um, I remember as a kid um, really sort of living in fear over the interpretations that I heard of Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. And, and scholars have debated as to whether as to what this uh, this passage is is pointing toward. Um, but what we can what we can surely say is that um, that while chapter 37 points out that God is going to protect his people and that's a claim that that we can lay claim to in Christ that we as God's family as God's people that he's going to act toward us um, the same way that he is talking about that he's going to act toward Israel here um, but then in 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 chapter 38 we see that um, that God warns that after a long time in the last years there's trouble coming and the trouble's coming in uh, in the form of a battle that is uh, that, that's going to be waged among the nations of the world coming against God's people um, and so we we see that um, God doesn't give a specific time and there's not a specific scenario it just says after a long time and in the last years and and that's led people to to really surmise that this is about a battle that is yet to come and is part of our understanding of the end times. Um, I'm going to tell you today that I, I don't really know 
when this battle will come. And I, and I know that there are those that have, have spent great energy in trying to identify who all the pieces and, and who all the armies and the players are and, and what nations of the world this represents and to understand the conditions that, that have to be present in the world in order for this battle to take place. And, and they've tried to predict the future and, and tried to, to, to look anticipating, kind of reading the signs of the day that, that we're, that we're swiftly approaching um, this battle. Um, I'm going to say to you what I what I said to our staff this past week in our staff retreat, not talking about this, but just in general talking about discipleship and our role in in helping people to, to grow as followers of Jesus, that um, sometimes I think we have a tendency to focus on the mysterious parts of God's will to the exclusion of the things that are right in front of us and the things that are objective. Uh, and so we're, we're looking and we're wondering, and in our own lives that probably manifests in, you know, like wondering uh, about where we should go and, and where we should live and what job we should have and who we should marry and all those kinds of things that are, that are not plain to us. Um, the, the truth is, I think if we spent more time focusing on those things we do know, and, and really walking out and living out those things we do know, those things that we don't know will take care of themselves. Um, and, and so I, I look at this story of this battle and can truly say, I don't know. I don't know if this is a battle. This describes a battle that's already taken place. I don't know if this describes a metaphorical battle that will, will never take place physically. And it's, it's an allegory. I don't know if this is about uh, a battle that's coming sometime in the future. And and is tied to end times or not. But what I do know is that there's some truth that we can dig out from this story about God and about who he is and about how he relates to us uh, and, and about how we find rest in him that is that is powerful truth that can be applied to our lives today. So we, we see beginning in chapter 38 that there is this, this prophecy about and against Gog of Magog. Um, Gog is, is a, is a leader of a nation. Uh, the word Gog actually means roof or can refer to like the top of a mountain. Uh, and, and so most likely when we see Gog of the land of Magog in verse two of chapter 38, um, this is talking about a dictator who is, who comes from the land that is overshadowed by the dictator. So, uh, dictator from the land of dictator. And it says, um, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, chief prince of Mesic and Tubal. Um, I will turn you about, in verse 4, and put hooks into your jaws, and I will bring you out, and all your army and horses and horsemen, and all of them clothed in full armor, a great host, all of them with buckler and shield and wielding swords." God goes on to tell Ezekiel that there are other nations um, like Persia and Cush and Put that are going to fall in with Gog. Um, and 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 all of these nations, these nations actually are representative, I think, of, of the the sort of the roll call of nations in, in Genesis chapter 10. And and basically what God is saying to Ezekiel to, to prophesy to the people is that there is going to come a time when all of the nations of the world, everyone in the world is going to oppose the, the people of God. And, and that, um, 
and that that there's that there's this this leader that represents kind of the leader of leaders who's going to lead this huge army um and 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 that this army is going to advance it says in verse 9 and they get then again in verse 16 this army is going to advance on God's people like a thunderstorm and it's going to there it's going to cover the land like a storm cloud covers the land that this army is this army is vast and they're scary and they're well armed and there are many 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 of them and they're coming intent to do harm um, to God's people but we look back at verse chapter 37 and and we say well how can that be because because God had promised that they were going to be in the land and they were going to dwell peacefully and they were going to um, they were going to 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 carry out um, the, you know the years and years and years of living under the protection of God in the presence of God. So how does that square with um, with God saying that that now there was going to be this huge army that was going to come against the people? Well, I think um, it kind of brings us to our first point today, which is that. Um, Trials and, and suffering are momentary, but God's promises and provisions are forever. That that God God will provide, and no matter our circumstances in the moment, we can trust that God is sovereign. That God was sovereign over the the armies of Gog. It says in verse four that he put he put hooks into the jaws of Gog, and it says, "I will bring you out." And all your army, horses and horsemen. So God here is using this evil dictator in order to to further His purposes. Now, we, we want to be really careful here to make sure that we that we we interpret this passage accurately. God doesn't make um, Gog do something evil. God uses the evil that's in the heart of God and and uses him to act out and act upon that evil um, in in a way that um, that fulfills the purposes of God. And so and so God's heart is not made evil because God made his heart evil. God's heart is e- Gog it's very difficult, Gog and God, right? But we're talking about Gog, the king. His heart is made evil because of his own sin and because of his own brokenness and because of his re- his rejection of Yahweh, the one true God. And so we see in verse 10, this is kind of where God explains that. It says, thus says the Lord God, on that day, thoughts will come into your mind. Whose mind? Gog's, the king. And you will desire an evil scheme and and say, I will go up against the land of unwalled villages. I will fall upon the quiet people who dwell securely. In other words, Gog, the dictator, had this scheme that he was going to go up against a country that was easy prey. He was going to work out this, this grand injustice against these people because they didn't have fences and because they didn't have fortifications. Um, there's a commentary uh, about the book of Ezekiel that says says it like this. God comes intent on plunder, but he does so only because God's plan and purpose is to bring him. God's free will is, is the free will of a shackled lion. If you offer a lion a choice between a fresh green salad and a juicy piece of raw meat, he will choose the latter every time without compulsion. It is his nature to eat raw meat. But the shackled lion only gets to eat raw meat when his keeper chooses to allow him to. 
the Bible tells us that, that the lions are real, but they are shackled. Or rather, to change the image slightly, they are leashed. They can assault Christians only whenever and wherever God allows them to exercise their natural appetites. So, so Gog is, ad, is, is, is acting upon the natural impulse, his natural inclination towards sin, and, and God, is, God is using his natural inclination and, and is, is allowing and opening the direction for him to do that so that God can do something for, for his glory and for the good of his people. And, and so, um, but what we see is that that ultimately God is going to enact, enact just punishment over Gog for the evil that he does. That it, it, it says here, in, um, in, as we continue on in this passage, um, that, that it says, you, you will come, verse 15, you will come from your place out of the uttermost parts of the north, you and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great host, a mighty army. You will come against up against my people Israel like a cloud covering the land. In the latter days, I will bring you against my land, the nation's that the nations may know me when through you, O Gog, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. So God says that, that, that I'm going to allow you to, to live out of the evil of your heart and to act out of the evil of your heart, but I'm going to use it in order to be able to, to accomplish my purposes, which is to show, um, to show the world my greatness, to bring me glory. And then you go down in verse 18, it says, But on that day, the day that Gog shall come against the land of Israel, declares the Lord God, my wrath will be roused in my anger. For in my jealousy and in my blazing wrath, I declare on that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. The fish of the sea and the birds of the heaven and the beasts of the field and all the creeping things that creep on the ground and all the people who are on the face of the earth shall quake at my presence. God is going to respond to evil um, and he's going to judge the evilness in the heart of Gog and the evil actions of Gog in such a way that everybody on the earth is going to recognize the power and, and, and the sovereignty of God in the way that he deals with it. That the earthquake is going to be so great, like the thunderclap is going to be so great of God's judgment and of God's wrath being poured out on this army that was acting in evil, that it's going to shake the whole earth. Fish in the ocean are going to feel the shake. Birds in the air are going to feel the shake. Snakes crawling on the ground are going to feel the shake. People will know that God is God when he deals with this evil. Now, one of the things I'll, I'll say to you is that that's what the cross is all about, <laughs> that that's what the empty tomb is all about, that, that ultimately, in a greater sense, we can look at Jesus and we can see that, that God, who allowed evil to be perpetrated against Jesus, who allowed Jesus, Jesus allowed himself to be taken to a cross. He allowed himself to be sacrificed for, for sins that he did not commit. He he was um, he was ultimately um, never out of control in that circumstances, but he allowed evil to win a victory so that he could win a greater victory. And, and, and so and, and so we see that ultimately that God prevails. The gospel is the story that God prevails. 
I think this passage, you know, teaches us that suffering, that, that in our lives, in this world, we're guaranteed that we're going to have trouble, that suffering is the norm, but suffering in Christ is a gift because he will never leave us, he will never forsake us, but ultimately because he has already won the victory, and, the, and passages like this just serve to underscore and remind us of that. Second thing that we that we learn is that 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 our suffering has a purpose, and we can see that in this passage, verse sixteen of chapter thirty-eight. God says, "You will to Gog, you will come up against my people Israel like a cloud covering the land. In the latter days, I will bring you against my land that nations may know me. When through you, O Gog, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes." God is showing Himself to be holy in the way that He's going to deal with Gog. Verse chapter 39, verse 7, and my holy name I will make known in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not let my holy name be profaned anymore, and the nation shall know that I am the Lord God, the Holy One in Israel. In other words, God is going to work this out. He is going to display his glory, and but, it, but it's going to be at the cost of Israel being pressed upon and being scared by this army. It's going to be at the cost of this evil army coming against Israel. And, and ultimately, we know that, that, that God was demonstrating that he was not slack, that he was not unaware, that he was not off his throne, that he was not distracted. Many would look at Israel and they would see the, the plight that Israel was in in the moment when this was being written, that they were, they were in exile and they had been overrun by other peoples. And, and they would say that's only because their God is so weak. God was showing and demonstrating in this circumstance that he's not weak and he's not inattentive, that God was working out his purposes even when he was allowing Israel to, to be disciplined, even when he was allowing them to, to, to experience the consequences of their sin. And, and, that, and that ultimately, when we suffer, our suffering has a purpose. When we suffer and we suffer well in Christ, our suffering is is used to be able to show people the the truth of the gospel when we can suffer and still praise god when we can experience the 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 death of loved ones and still anticipate the future when we grieve as those who have hope not as those who have no hope we ultimately are are walking out a very similar kind of story third thing we learn is that that god provides for his people even even when there's there's suffering. Now we looked at this about the the, the earthquake that was going to come and and the, the 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 way that all of the inhabitants of the earth were going to know that God was God. God is the one who defended Israel. If you look down in verse two and three of, of chapter thirty nine, it says, "And I will turn you about and drive you forward." In other words, he's telling Gog, "Like I'm going to be the one that's going to unleash your army. I'm going to be the one that's going to let you act upon your impulses and bring you up from the uttermost parts of the north and lead you against the mountains of Israel. Then I will strike your bow from your left hand, and I will make your arrows drop out of your right hand. You shall fall on the mountains of Israel and all your hordes and all the peoples who are with you." 
I will give you to the birds of prey every sort and the beast of the field to be devoured. In other words, this army was going to be utterly destroyed in an instant instance. Why? Because Israel picked up um, armaments and fought the battle? No, because God fought the battle for them. And we need to remember that when we're in the trials of life, that God is ultimately fighting our battles for us. We need to remember that God is ultimately our defender and that our ultimate defense is life with him. That our ultimate defense is eternity and that God will not leave us and he will not forsake us, but he will provide for us and that we have the promise that in Christ we will dwell with him forever. So, so number four, we, we see that kind of leads right in that ultimately God is going to prevail. Um, we see that God is going to prevail, and, and we ultimately know that God is prevailing in Christ. Verse 11 of chapter 39, he says, On that day I will give to Gog a place for burial in Israel, the valley of the travelers. East of the sea I will block the travelers, for there Gog and his multitude will be buried. It will be called the valley of Hammon Gog. In other words, he's saying that there is there's going to be this valley where that people have to travel through in order to be able to get to Israel and and that he, that God is going to make that a great burial ground for for Gog and for his armies and for the armies of the world. Why? Because because he wanted to show that he was the defender of Israel and he is the one who ultimately is going to seek justice. There is judgment coming. There's judgment coming from the world who's living apart from Christ. There is, we, we know the one thing we can all agree about in end times is that there will be a point in the future when Jesus will return, he will establish his kingdom, and he will judge both the living and the dead. This is a picture of that kind of judgment. It goes on to say in chapter 39 that, that ultimately the vultures were going to have their fill in, in eating the, the flesh and drinking the blood of the armies of Gog and the other armies that were there. Verse 14 tells us that, 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 that it took Israel over seven months to, or took Israel seven months to bury all of the dead, that they had to go around and bury every single bone of every single person that died and that the death toll was so massive that 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 it took them seven months to be able to bury the dead that the that the battle happened in an instant the battle was won in an instant and and the aftermath was was felt for years and years and years that that god even went so far as to say that he destroyed the homeland of of gog not just the not just the army of gog that was that was there in the valley but he but he also destroyed their homeland as well we can look into places like Revelation chapter 20 where death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire and be reminded that God will ultimately defeat his enemies. He will defeat his enemy in Satan and in sin and in death and that ultimately they will be vanquished because of what Jesus has done. And then the final thing is that we know that because of Jesus' victory, we are secure. God shows that in his victory that he provides for his people. Um, you, you, go, you go out and, and you look in, in chapters 9 or verses 9 and 10 of chapter 39. It says, um, Then those who dwell in the cities of Israel will go out and make fires of the weapons and burn them, shields and buckles, bucklers, 
bow and arrows and clubs and spears. They will make fires of them for seven years so that they will not need to take wood out of the field or cut down any of the, the forest. They will make their fires of the weapons. They will seize the spoil of those who despoiled them and plunder those who plundered them, declares the Lord God. In other words, God has provided for them by allowing them to burn the armaments of the armies that he defeated so that they don't even have to go look for firewood for seven years. That, that God won the battle, but God's people got the benefit. Jesus won the battle ultimately in in his in his death and his burial and his resurrection. That Jesus is coming back to to establish his kingdom and to finish the work that he started. But you and I are the benefactors of that, uh, and and that we ultimately have um, peace with God and and life in Christ and eternity with the Lord because because of what God has done. And so we are we are ultimately able to live out and to live in the fruit of what God has done. So five. Five things that Ezekiel 38 teaches us. Number one, God reigns supreme. That, that we can see evil take place. We can see leaders who do things that are that are that are reprehensible. We can see re- people that are that are, that are wealthy that that do things and seemingly get away with them with no recourse because of their ability to buy their way out of trouble. But ultimately, all sin is going to be judged, and God is God is not going to be thwarted. And we see that in the story of Gog. God knows and controls the future is number two, that, that, that God knew while the people were completely ignorant to the fact until God told them that there was a battle that was coming, God knows the future and God had it in his hands. Gog didn't act because he went outside of, 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 of Yahweh's bounds, that he, that he went and superseded Yahweh's authority. He acted ultimately because, because Yahweh allowed him to act. Number three is despite what we may perceive, God is always acting for his glory and and for our good. And so the people could have very easily looked at the circumstances of these these armies marshalling on you know on on their perimeter and, and they could have said, God, where are you? Like why did you desert us? Why did, you, why did you not care for us in the way that you said you were going to? These people are going to come and they're going to kill us and they're going to take our land and we can't even defend ourselves. Um, and sometimes, you know, we can be like that too. When, when bad things happen, when, 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 when illness strikes, when uh, economic downturn comes to us, we, sometimes we're quick to, to be the people to say, well, where is God in the midst of all that? And ultimately, we know that God's right where he always has been. He's he's ultimately working for his glory, but he's also working for our good and that we can trust him even when we can't explain what he's up to and we can't understand his plan. Number four, God is going to supply all of our needs. And we see this so beautifully illustrated in in this passage, but we realize that in the gospel, God has provided for our ultimate needs. That This is not just about having food in our belly or a roof over our heads or or having enough enough of anything, that that, that ultimately God is, is 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 providing and supplying our needs and our greatest need is to have our sin problem dealt with and to make peace with him and he's done that through jesus and then number five we see that god always keeps his promises 
And so we could trust today as we look at this story that, that God, again, demonstrates himself to be a promise keeper and that God has promised. Now, Jesus said that, that I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there may you be also. That, that Jesus has prepared a place and that there is an eternal destination that awaits us because of what Jesus has done and because of our trust in him. And that, and that we can rest assured that God is not slack in his promises, but that he will work out those things that he intends to do for our good and for our glory um, right now, right here. So I hope today that this Bible study has been helpful, has been encouraging to you, and that even in the midst of trial and even in the midst of suffering, that we can trust uh, God our Father, that we can trust that, that the work of Christ is enough. Um, today, we're praying for the country of Hong Kong. Um, we want to pray for the country itself. We want to pray that in the midst of um, the, the, the turmoil that is going on um, and, and the, the uncertainty that's happening in Hong Kong, that the gospel will continue to spread through local be- believers. We want to pray for the safety of our partner, Mother's Choice, for their staff, for their foster families, and for their caregivers. We also want to pray for the safety of the children um, in the midst of their, the ongoing protests that are happening in Hong Kong and in the midst of the pandemic. Um, we want to pray that, that, that those who follow Jesus would rest in the sovereignty of the Lord, even in the midst of the hopelessness and difficulty that sometimes they're feeling, and that, and that they will, will show Jesus off by the way that they trust him. We want to pray for waiting kids. We want to pray for local families within Hong Kong to step up and be willing to adopt children with significant medical special needs. Um, We want to pray that God will provide loving and stable caregivers for the children while they wait on adoption. We want to pray for the Department of Social Welfare, um, that they would improve and streamline their process and and help children not to have to wait longer than they need. Uh, We want to pray especially for those children who are are waiting uh, and for families who are waiting the opportunity to be able to, to travel to Hong Kong to bring their children home. And we want to pray that God will bring more families um, to waiting children. We want to, to pray that, um, that the, the leadership at Mother's Choice would, would be convicted to continue to be uncompromising in their Christian values, and we want to pray for, for stamina and endurance for them. Uh, we want to pray for, uh, for the many, and, and just thank God for the many mission-minded families who have entered the, the Hong Kong program with us, um, and, and we want to pray for their encouragement and their hope as they usually wait long times and, and usually have long time frames for their adoption. We want to pray for... Um, the the unique relationship that Hong Kong has with China, and we want to pray that the gospel will flourish in the midst of that region, even in that relationship. We want to pray for families, um, and 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 want to praise God for families that are getting closer to their opportunity to travel to Hong Kong, and and we want to pray that um, that that they will travel safely and that they will put the gospel on display while they're there. So let's pray, Father. We thank you, Lord, today for. Um, 
for your work and your presence in Hong Kong. We thank you for Mother's Choice, Lord, and the way that they continue to stand. God, we pray for believers in Hong Kong, and we pray that you would give them words and actions to be able to put the, the truth of the gospel on display. God, we pray that many women would come to know Jesus as a result of the, the church's tireless efforts to, uh, to proclaim your name uh, in, in the darkness. God, we pray that in the middle of political turmoil and uncertainty and a pandemic, that, God, you would prevail. And, Lord, today we claim the truth of Ezekiel 38 and 39, that, God, those things are not outside of your sovereignty, but, God, we know that they are tools in your hand. And so, Lord, we trust you to work things out for for your glory and for the good of the people of Hong Kong, particularly the vulnerable children that are there. Lord, we love you, and we confess today that we are deeply in need of your care and your intervention. And so, God, we thank you today that we know that that most prominently you intervened on our behalf by by stepping out of heaven, Jesus, by, by living the life that we could not live, dying the death we deserve to die, and then rising again to defeat he- death, hell, and the grave. And thank you that we have a promised future with you. Um, Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. We're here every week. We'll continue to study the book of Ezekiel for several more weeks, and we hope that you'll join us. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.